Well, let us rise from our seats as we receive our Word of God, uh, the Word of God that comes uh, from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. And I'll read this in ESV. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Arturia, and Triconitus, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Merry Christmas, everyone. Hi. <laughs> uh, started last week of the year. <laughs> and as we look back, I know there are lots of testimonies, uh, stories, and and. Things that have happened in your life that are not explainable apart from the grace of God. Uh, at this time, uh, let's pray, uh, lifting up our year before him that's past, and also lifting up to him the year that will come. And let's dedicate our first and last to him, and uh, we'll start with the sermon. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing difficult circumstances and the past year, especially to reveal uh, my shortcomings, my relationship with you, how I trust you and how I relate with you, Father. And also uh, the fruit uh, of our character, uh, tried and tested in the home and in the workplace uh, and amidst health crises. Father, I pray that this would all cause your people not to strategize and not to make a better way forward, uh, may this humble your people that we would recognize we are resourceless without you. And we would start the new year on our knees, uh, asking for your guidance and relying upon you for all that you can do uh, and not what we can do. Holy Spirit, especially I pray that you would use the words of today's sermon uh, to create noticeable changes in the life of our congregation uh, that we would know how to walk forward uh, in the, into the next year. So, Lord, uh, your word alone is sharp, penetrating heart, mind, soul, and bone, and marrow even. Uh, we rely upon that word to come upon your people today through the Holy Spirit, and that people would be changed not because I preached it, 
but because you and your word have come upon their perception. Uh, Father, we thank you. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, the title of today's sermon sounds like a, a, a bad movie from Avatar, the, the Way of Water, Fire, and Spirit. The Way of Water, Fire, and Spirit. And it comes from uh, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. We will take uh, a look passage by passage at this text until we're over. It says here, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and after that introduces a lot of interesting historical figures. Uh, what's really interesting is that Tiberius Caesar uh, started, I was about to say ministry, he started uh, his reign in 14 AD. And so chapter 3 starts with, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So you add 14 plus 15, and you have year 29 AD. And that's basically when Jesus is starting his ministry. And so when you see the dates line up with figures and people and references, you have to know, number one, once again, that Luke is writing about historical narrative and fact. Amen? Jesus started ministry when he was 30, and this is the precedent of how Jesus is starting his ministry in this culture, in this political environment. So let's see what's going on here. Uh, Tiberius Caesar uh, he was known for being a dark, uh, gloomy, and reclusive emperor. He doubted his own skills. He was always jealous of his predecessor, Augustus Caesar. Didn't live up to that name. And so he was the most incapable emperor, uh, known by his bad judgments and his jealousy and his fits of uh, rage. And this led Rome into a dark age of murder and terror and political maneuvers. And that's one of the backgrounds of this story today. And two other figures uh, are also introduced. Pontius Pilate, uh, who was fairly competent as a ruler over Judea, but he tried to impose the imperial cult upon Judea, and he was very uh, political in his maneuvers. Even when you see him crucify the Lord Jesus Christ, you see him uh, not contemplating what the truth is, but whether it is more politically better to kill him or to save Jesus. So you have that as part of the picture. And then you have Herod. Uh, Herod here is Herod Antipas. He's a, a tetrarch. And he's also a puppet king who married his brother's half-brother's uh, half -brother's wife. And ultimately, uh, he cut off John the Baptist's head because, of this, uh, because this was uh, revealed. And John the Baptist was rebuking that. It's interesting when you see the word tetrarch, um, because Philip is also a tetrarch here, you see in verse 3, I think, uh, verse 1, actually. And so you have Philip, you have, uh, you have Herod, and you have uh, two other tetrarchs. A tetrarch basically means a rule of four people. It was a Roman governance system where you have four people ruling, and in, in this case, this was called the Herodian tetrarchy. Uh, let's look at the picture. If you look at the picture, you see the areas that the Herods were in charge of. The four children uh, of Herod the Great uh, resulted in uh, this rulership over Israel at this time. And the divisions of land here uh, divided up most of Israel. And, you know, even before we go further, <laughs> that picture really looks like uh, the human heart. Uh, really, like one-fourth of it devoted to ambition, one-fourth pride, one-fourth insecurity, one-fourth uncertainty. Uh, really, we really have a complicated political and cultural background in support of today's message. And in other words, there was a powerful family, an oligarchy, a tetrarchy in charge of things going on. And they always were seeking more power because they had an uneasy relationship with each other. They're always competing. And then you have Pontius Pilate, who wasn't of the Herodian dynasty, but he was also a political maneuverer. And under, 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 uh, and these people were all under uh, Tiberius, who was vicious, uh, incapable, and violent. So people would look at Tiberius, and they would miss the days of the ability and the charisma of Augustus. People would look at Pontius Pilate and Herod and the Herodian dynasty and the Tetrarchy, and they would desire a ruler that actually cared for. Uh, the nation of Israel, uh, actual patriots. That's why what funded a lot of the, um, 
the zealot movement is that they were trying to kill Roman citizens because every king that they set above them, every governor, didn't have their best interest in mind. In verse 2, you have Annas and Caiaphas. Annas was the official religious high priest of that time. Uh, but why have two high priests, Annas and Caiaphas? It's because you can't have two high priests, but Annas didn't really play ball with the Romans. Uh, he was against them. And so the Romans installed his son, Caiaphas, to be a high priest along with him, to be high priest over the area. And so you have a divided religious leadership and priesthood, and this was also ineffective as well. Everything was a mess. Tiberius, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip. Uh, Philip uh, would later create the city of Caesarea, uh, Caesarea Philippi, which was known for its, its grandiose idol worship and, and the deification of, of all the Roman gods and the kings. Annas and Caiaphas, you see religious uh, destruction and you see religious uh, lack of unity. And the, these people basically highlighted what was wrong with this day and period. What was wrong with all this time? God's word has not come upon any prophet after the period of Malachi until the period of Matthew, the writing of Matthew. And so in, in between that, we call that the intertestamental period of 400 years. In other words, for 400 years, there was no prophet saying, thus says the Lord. There's no word of God coming to this area. And so every ruler, every leader, every person who had their own ambitions and agenda were doing what they saw was fit. And you see what we're going to see in the book of Judges later on this next year is that everyone is doing as they saw fit. Uh, the nation was divided. And in this, era, in this catastrophe, Jesus Christ began ministry starting with John the Baptist. In this context, the word of God is said in verse 3, the word of God came not to Tiberius, not to Pilate, not to Herod or Philip or Annas or even Caiaphas, the high priests. It came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. What would change the world? What would change all these mixed political agendas and all the incapability of Rome to create a peaceful society and the inability of these tetrarchs to cooperate to create a paradise? What would cause that change? It is the word of God coming down upon his people. Any personal and social or global reformation starts with what? The word of God. I hope this makes sense. Uh, next week, when it's 2022, how do you start planning for your calendar? By politically positioning yourself better in your workplace? By aiming for more economic status? Having more children? How do you position yourself? The word of God must come upon your life. Amen. That's how we plan for the next year. The word of God must come. And so it is today. We look at our administration, and some people say that our leaders need to know the economy better. Others say that we have to look at human rights as the main issue of our time or global warming. Others say and point to the failures of the education system, while others point to the issue of vaccination and health and all of us have a different idea of what makes a better society. And we are all divided like the Tetrarchs. We're all divided. Incapable, incompetent, planning and scheming and trying to do things differently with different solutions, all failing miserably because we do not rely upon the Word of God. So when the Word of God comes upon John, what does he say? What does John say? What, what are the opening statements of his ministry? Does he talk about politics or education or technology? John, his first word says, repent. Repent. Listen to this. 400 years of silence. God has not spoken to his people. And the world is going crazy. And the first word that comes from a person inspired by the Holy Spirit, the first thing he says is what? Repent. 
And that is our first word of encouragement today. KCPC, we must repent first. That is our biggest problem. We have a moral issue that comes from a dead heart unless you are in Christ, and we must repent. It's the first thing that the Holy Spirit tells his people. The fundamental human problem is a moral issue. It's not a political one. It's not an economic one. It's not a power issue. It's not about technology. It's the issue of of the dead human heart and the dead human spirit that impacts how we do politics and education and technology. And so God's solution is repent. And so in verse 3, you see a natural flow of the structure here. John says, And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The solution is the forgiveness of sins, not which king you are under. And what your solution of your political leaders are. Verses 4 to 6, it also continues. Listen to this. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill be made low. And you flatten the playing field so that Christ has a way to come. In the transportation industry, once you have flattened the land, you pave a road, a way that shows what kind of machine will follow. If you make a trail in the woods, you can expect joggers. If you pave a way of asphalt, you can expect cars. And if you construct a railroad, you can expect a train to come someday. And people today are busy paving so many different ways that they know will lead to a better future. Better economic policies, better governance, or legislation, or technology. And basically what we're saying is we are pointing to what we think the nature of the Messiah is. If you say legislative reform is how to begin 2022, you believe that legislation, the best legislator is your Messiah. Or better health care. You think that is your Messiah. But what kind of way does John the Baptist prepare for his Messiah? And here's a more practical question. What kind of way are you paving in your own hearts? What Messiah are you waiting for? How will next year be better than this year? Depends on what kind of path you're paving. So John the Baptist, he says in verse 16, He answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is coming, he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you what and how? With the Holy Spirit and fire. And this is where we get the main points of today's sermon. John opens the way of repentance and water, and Jesus comes. He's paved the way for Jesus come to bring fire and spirit. You got to know what this means. You got to know what this means in order to know how to live the Christian life and how to live next year in particular. So the baptism of water, let's look at verses 3 and then 10 through 14. The baptism of water, John says, I come and baptize in water, right? That's what John offers is a baptism of water. And verses 10 through 14 shows what it means to be baptized by water It is basically acting in accordance with repentance, giving to the poor, you know, not extorting the poor, not uh, taking advantage over the marginalized. And you see what repentance actually means. John calls upon us to bear fruit consistent with repentance. Fruit consistent with repentance. You see, the first step of the Christian life begins when the Holy Spirit calls you to repent And this is how you differentiate between real repentance and fake one. Real repentance involves a change of mind, heart, and behavior. And false repentance is feeling sorry, regretting, not doing anything about it. What you see here is a list of practical fruit. Share your tunics, not collecting too much taxes, not extorting money. Etc., etc. In other words, this is an incomplete list, a non comprehensive list of what it means to act in accordance with repentance. And so we see that repentance is not just an abstract change of ideas, 
It's not about feeling bad about yourself or regretting the choices you make. It is a tangible change, a turnabout. Repentance means a U-turn in how you live every day. And this is extremely practical. One of the best ways to grow if you are a Christian is to change your actions. You get that? I often uh, talk about why changing actions is not so important um, because it doesn't save you. But here it is. If you are saved, if you are in Christ, then here's the thing. You should be changing your behavior. Sometimes when I counsel people that, you know, talk about salvation and they get confused with legalism, they say, I have to do better for Christ to save me. I rebuke them sternly because that is not the gospel. You are only saved by grace through faith. And your actions show that. And so I have to rebuke them sternly because that is not the way of repentance. But at the same time, if you do accept Jesus Christ, if you are changed by the Holy Spirit, then I will coach you and disciple you and change you because now we have to live in accordance with salvation. So what that means is if you are saved, stop just feeling sorry about your sins. Actually fight. See where you use your money. Figure out why you're fighting with your spouse or your parents all the time and fix the problem in Christ. That is so important. A lot of us just say the gospel will take care of everything and you just pray and you feel bad and you apologize just to Jesus and nothing gets done and you are not growing in Christ. This is such a powerful solution, however, that it seems like the best way to live. Uh, you figure out what to do, what the problem is, and you develop solutions and you tackle the problem. And that is intuitive, that is simple, that is elegant. And that's why people, in verse 15, they were questioning whether John is the Messiah. They were thinking, is John the Messiah? Because he has the problems that the Tetrarchs cannot solve and that Tiberius cannot solve. The issue of the heart showing in action. But now we come to a sobering conclusion. No matter how often we repent, we cannot live perfectly. John is basically recapping uh, what's required in the Old Testament. Repeat after me, a perfect heart leading to perfect behavior. A perfect heart leading to perfect moral behavior. That is what the Old Testament requires. And what has so many thousands of years of people trying to live according to a moral code shown? That's, it's impossible. Every year we have polls upon polls by different institutions, atheist and Christian. And all they do all the time is they find out what the problem is. Parents are not taking care of their children. Dads are leaving the family. Mothers are not faithful. And we see economic problems. We diagnose mental problems. We diagnose social problems. We diagnose ethnic, ethnical problems. And we always say, that's the problem. Here's what you need to do to fix it. But we've never fixed it. And that's the conclusion of all history. I've told you this many, many times. We know what we have to do, how we must live, but we cannot. That is the summary of all of our problems. We know what to do, but we cannot fix it. We can't do it. That's why John the Baptist is not John the Messiah. He points out the problem, but he can't take care of it. He shows you what the perfect standard is, and he's saying, we got to get there. And that's why I am paving the way for the Messiah. He can get us there. Amen? That's what we're looking for. The Messiah who can get us there. In other words... John the Baptist is not John the Messiah because he is making the way for the Lord, showing why he is necessary. That's what it means to pave the way for the Lord. It shows why Jesus is necessary in this time of Tiberius and Pontius Pilate and all these tetrarchs. We need Jesus. That's what it means to make the way of the Lord, to flatten every field. Every king and every ruler is accountable to a perfect moral standard, and only Jesus can pave the way. He can show the way. In other words, the baptism of water 
if you look at this, shows the need for a regenerated heart. It shows the need for a perfect heart. It shows the need for perfect moral behavior, but it doesn't give it to you. And so when you are baptized, it's basically you saying, I see the perfect requirements of the law, the need for a perfect heart, and I cannot do it. I must die for that to happen. My heart cannot do this. And that is what repentance is. It's confessing, I cannot do this. The Greek word for baptizo usually involves, baptism, usually that's why it involves full immersion. Because going under the water signifies your death. And when we raise you up, it signifies new life lived according to a different heart. You know, I remember uh, doing full baptism, full immersion baptism in my previous church. And I had this brother that I dearly loved. Uh, overcame a lot of sin. Still struggling with a lot of sin. So I told him, take a deep breath. <laughs> And he goes in smiling, and then later he's like thrashing around. I'm like, you need to know what this means. <laughs> you are dying to yourself. There are no more fleshly pleasures to engage in. You are dying. And it's still about 15 seconds. I think it was okay. He came up, and he was sobbing because <laughs> he knew what it meant. That's what this means for you. How do you go into 2022 as a dead person? Will anyone say amen to this? How do you go into the next year as a dead person who needs the grace of Jesus to come back alive and for Christ to live in you, for the Holy Spirit to give you right desires and for the Holy Spirit to take care of your life, your decisions? That's how we get into the next year, by dying by the baptism of water. And, you know, some people, you just have to hold them under the water for a bit longer. <laughs> some of you are still on the cross saying that you, you said you believe in Jesus and you're struggling on the cross for 15 years. I still want, I still want upward mobility. I still want the best for my family. I still want, want, want. And Jesus has not been able to make a decision in your lives. Like you're smothering the voice of the Holy Spirit because all of your wants and wants and wants, that flesh has died, amen? Died, amen? It has died. That's what it means to be baptized by water. The, re the reason why John says he isn't even fit to do for Jesus what a slave would do for his master to carry his sandals is because something more is necessary than just knowing what has to be done. Something more is necessary than just knowing what we have to do to achieve the perfect utopia. The law of God, the law of the Old Testament, is not bad. It is good and perfect and re accurately reflects the character of God. However, repentance doesn't make you perfect. It only acknowledges that God is perfect and you are not. And that is the way of water, which clears the way for Jesus to come. And now Jesus comes to baptize in fire and spirit. Let's talk about fire first. The baptism of fire is a baptism of what? What do you think? Judgment. Uh... That's more likely. A lot of people say that fire, because Luke writes in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit came like fire, like tongues of fire, that they think, oh, this is a baptism of the Holy Spirit, said in two different ways. No, the baptism of fire that only Jesus can bring is a baptism of judgment. That's why it says later on, but the, the, the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And the New Testament writers use fire in a very negative way. It talks about judgment and burning. And so when people say, Lord, you know, give me a baptism of fire, you don't want that. You want to escape that. You want to get away. Why is then Jesus' baptism of fire so wonderful and so necessary? In other words, why is judgment so crucial? Because the world must be judged. And whenever someone says like this, they sound like a fanatic. But every one of you judges another person. Like whenever you gossip, 
like Tim Keller puts it this way, if you had an invisible recorder around your neck, and even if you didn't believe in the Ten Commandments and the, 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 the laws of Jesus Christ, even if you just had a recorder around you, and every time you made a value statement, oh, that sister talks too much. Oh, that brother is a backstabber. Oh, like, you know, that, that, that brother sleeps around everywhere. Every time you say that, you are pointing to a certain moral standard. And the question is, will you keep up with that moral standard that you yourself have iterated? Like when you go up before God and God says, I'm not going to judge you according to the Ten Commandments. Let's play that button and see what you said and I'll judge you in accordance with what you said. Will you be consistent even? That is why the baptism of fire is necessary. No one is righteous. We can all say, yes, Hitler must be judged, even if that requires a re-resurrection. But here's a question. What about me? The thing about having a perfect judge is this. It goes both ways. It's like having a perfect attorney general uh, as your neighbor. (laughs) And everywhere he goes, crime rates fall. Everywhere he goes, drugs go off the street. And everywhere he goes, there are better social laws in place. But the question is, you might celebrate that when it's applied to society in general, but what about you? Will that perfect attorney general find something on your hard drive or find something in your browser uh, uh, search history? Or will he find something in your innermost heart that is condemnable and he must, out of his perfection, must judge it? In other words, will you avoid, will you be spared from the baptism of fire? I mean, that's the sobering truth. Like, Jesus is great, and one of the reasons that he is so great is that he is the only one who will judge the injustices of the world. In my corporate life, a lot of my clients were corporate entities. And they showed me their contracts. They showed me what they did. They showed me the franchise agreements. And they were crooked, a lot of them. And we successfully defended them in the court of law. And they're free to do business. Was there perfect justice? I've never seen a case of perfect justice. Never seen it. Never heard about it from other experienced lawyers. It doesn't happen. There's always a loss And there's always a overcompensation. There's always imbalance everywhere. Jesus bringing the judgment of fire is beautiful. It's only scary because I am also condemned under that. John says that the various ways that we try to escape the judgment of fire is invalid. We can't escape the baptism of fire by lineage. That's what he talks about. Like the axe is at the root of the tree, the tree of Abrahamic lineage, the tree of Davidic uh, ancestry. It's It's at the roots. Like God is cutting it down. It doesn't matter where your lineage comes from. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter which small group you're part of. It doesn't matter if, you're, if your mom, your kwonsani mom, prays every night for you. That is not your faith. It doesn't matter which ancestry you come from. Like, I used to boast in being a fifth-generation Christian when the missionaries first came to Korea. That didn't help me at all. It only made me more vulnerable to pride. Like, the blind spots are bigger if you have pride in ancestry or which church you're a part of. When God says, on Judgment Day, he won't say, you know, to be honest soon, you come up for judgment. He won't say, this small group, you come up for judgment. He will call you by name. And the axe is at the root of the tree. Also, you cannot satisfy the wrath of God by fully keeping the law of the Lord with a perfect heart. Even if you keep the law perfectly in your fallen state, even if you do good things, even if you go on mission trips to Kenya, a lot of times it is done for the wrong reasons. Self-exaltation. Selfie with a kid in Africa. Hey, see how missional I am. That happens in Christian churches. Selfie with a homeless person. See how engaging my life is. Are you sure that every time you do something good, that there is the right spirit in your heart? You don't know. Unless you have what we'll talk about later, the baptism of the spirit. That's why that's so necessary. 
Everyone repeat after me. This is crucial for you to understand at this junction. Repeat after me. Keeping the rules without relationship is legalism. In other words, if you keep the law of God, but you have no relationship to the Lord, then that is called legalism. That's where the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scholars of the law all failed. They didn't love God, but they kept his law. But repeat the second part after me. Emphasizing the relationship without keeping the rules is cheap grace. We need both. Relationship and the perfect law which is fulfilled in the Spirit. Relationship and the law. I'll give you an example. Before getting married to my wife, whenever we talked on Kakao Talk and we disagreed, I would say, uh, Lena, let, let's you and I talk and reason to get uh, to, you know, uh, overcome our differences. Now after getting married, my response to any conflict is, yes ma'am. <laughs> Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Why? I love her, and I love her ways. When was the last time you said to God, yes, sir? <laughs> yes, my king. I love you, and I love your ways. And I will go beyond the negative, do not kill, do not steal, do not do this. I will go beyond that, I, and I will do the exact opposite. I will give life to those around me. I will serve those around me. I won't steal, but I'll give. I won't uh, slander, but I'll raise up and establish. That is knowing the lawgiver and loving the lawgiver. That's what's necessary. That's what's necessary to escape the judgment, the baptism of fire. When Jesus comes with a baptism of fire, which only he can do, which is so necessary, and yet we are so terrified of, the only solution is relying not on better behavior or not relying upon bloodlines or the name of KCPC. Oh, my mentor was Pastor David. No, that doesn't work. The only way we can be saved from God and his judgment is a relationship that leads you to lovingly fulfill the law. A relationship that lovingly leads you to lovingly fulfill the law in sheer joy where you say, I will go beyond the Ten Commandments because I love my Lord. Something found only in the baptism of the Spirit. And so here is for, for those of you who love charts. The baptism of water requires you to die, and if you have died by the baptism of water, then the fire will not hurt you, and you will be reborn by the baptism of the Spirit. If you do not die in the baptism of water and repentance, and you rely upon yourself, then the judgment of fire is waiting for you. So let's see. After you go into the water, and after you come back up, you are not an empty slate. You are now supposed to be filled with something better and more powerful than you. Amen? And that is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. That's how you live every day. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the baptism of salvation and eternal life and the way of living in God's kingdom every day. Notice I'm referring to the same verses we covered in verses 10 through 14. Like, give your tunics, don't extort, don't do this, don't do that, but do this and do that. Why is that in consistency with the baptism of the Spirit? Because now you do it joyfully. You love giving yourself to your neighbors. You love dying for the poor. You love serving the sick. You love it. You love it. You love it because the Lord's heart is there. The Lord's mind is there. And that's, that proves that the Spirit lives inside of you, changing your appetite, your desires. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit does. In the Spirit, we can do this and more. Amen? In the Spirit, you can. And I am not saying this in a hopeful, positive, futuristic sense. I talk with a lot of you who are doing it right now. You love talking to the homeless and bringing in the meals. And that's not out of a moralistic sense. You are doing it because God has given you that love. It's already happening in your midst. And if you are missing out, I feel bad for you. Because you don't know what life in the Spirit means. You see, salvation is not just about getting off the hook going to hell, 
and living well enough that you don't have to face judgment. Salvation is going in the opposite direction for eternal kingdom living, preparing yourself to live forever. Like, uh, here's what I would put it in Korean. If you go to heaven, 어울립니까? Does it look like you belong in heaven? Do you live as if you're living in eternity? A life lived in perfect accordance with God's character? When you believe in Jesus and you are baptized in the Holy Spirit, He does everything. Listen to this. You need to listen to this. He does everything that makes living a perfect life possible and unavoidable. That's what perseverance of the saints mean, means. The Spirit will change your hearts, change your desires, coach you every single day. He will walk alongside you. He will give you new desires every single day. He will not let you go. He will chase you down, and He will change the way that you live until you look like a person that belongs in the kingdom of God. It is not just not doing the things you shouldn't be doing. You will be perfect. And this life, you will see the life of the Spirit, the way of the Spirit. You will see so many signposts that you should check on right now. What signposts have you seen to make sure you're going this way? You might have the gifts of the Holy Spirit to serve the church, teaching. Ugh, not going to go over the whole list. Uh, listen to our podcast, okay? We have four sessions on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Or you might have the fruit, peace, love, joy, you know, kindness, you know, humility, all those things. You'll have that if you are filled with the Holy Spirit. As you love the Lord and walk with Him in the Spirit, the Christian life becomes as natural as breathing. It does. I promise you it does. Uh, I really loved this planner. Uh, it's made out of good material. Uh, and it's a 2021 planner. I'm so sad that I have to throw this away. Um, but I really took detailed notes. Every side has um, uh, different columns that I have to do. Uh, ninth community ministry, admin work, worship, uh, spiritual formation, uh, personal and family life, finances, uh, t uh, personal development and studying and education, and also team ministry. I have all these areas. And usually I have four to five things under each column uh, to organize my life. And... <laughs> I shuddered before throwing this away. I was looking through all of this. You know what happens? Uh, if I don't pray, if I don't focus on spiritual formation, if I don't walk with the Holy Spirit, none of these ever get done. Like there's no check mark next to it. And whenever I actually have prayed and I have QT'd and I have walked with the Lord, everything from admin to personal life to finance gets done. Why? Because the Spirit is guiding me, and I've given Him room to work in my heart by reading the Word, praying, and obeying. Read the Word, pray, and obey. And now I'm thinking of a new way to do this whole journal thing. My 2022 journal, it starts with prayer, and then I ask the Holy Spirit, what do I need to do? And I just write down a simple bullet point, and I promise you, I will not be as busy. I will not be as crazy. I will not look into the future with anxiety because the Spirit will tell me what to do as I read His Word and pray to Him. Amen? Don't you want that? <laughs> A Spirit-organized life where every second counts, where every action you make goes to heaven, and when you go to heaven, you recognize you did something meaningful? And that's the thing. It becomes natural. Like, this is the life of the Spirit that I want to, want all of you to live. It's as natural as breathing. There's joy in it. There's power in it. Imagine, when you walk in the Spirit, you understand your faith is given to you as a gift. Every breath you take is provided by a good and loving Father. The Spirit testifies that within you. And so when you pray, everything else necessary happens. Every relationship is restored in the Lord. Every mistake that you make, listen to this, every mistake that you make, the Holy Spirit turns it into something that sanctifies you. You know what? After you get baptized in the Spirit, the baptism of fire only refines you and purifies you. Amen? 
refines you like gold. It makes you pure. It makes you beautiful. All the things that you wanted to hold on to, your lust for pornography, your lust for games, your lust for other things of the world, for money and advantages, all of that gets burned up because you are saved and you look like Christ. Those who are in the Spirit need not fear the baptism of fire. It only strengthens you, purifies you, and helps you become more like Christ. Everything works for your good if you're in the Spirit. I don't want in my congregation a single wasted tear. A lot of you have cried. A lot of you are suffering right now. You don't know what you need to do. And I want to tell you, if you're in the Holy Spirit, if you believe in Jesus and the Spirit operates within you, he will accomplish exactly what needs to be done. And you can just live life like floating down a river, so naturally, so freely. Beloved KCPC, this is the gospel. God created us for perfection, but we became sinners because we declared ourselves perfect apart from God. And in this state... Every time we look at the perfect moral law of God, we stand condemned. And so otherwise, we need to go through the baptism of water or through fire if you see the perfect moral law of God. And in this state, God sent his son Jesus to save us, who died for our sins and took upon himself the baptism of fire and judgment. And those who believe, those who repent in this water, this baptism of water, Now they receive fullness of the Holy Spirit and there is no condemnation. There is power and everlasting joy and life and peace and hope and every good thing you could dare list comes to you in the Spirit and that is the life that God wants you to live. Jesus promises, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. May you have abundant life, not a single wasted second. Because you are living in accordance with God's law. Amen? The Spirit will accomplish this in you. Can we all stand and receive uh, this passage? Uh, This comes from 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 18. If we can show it up on the slide as well. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 18. Let me just read it to you. Can you receive it as your word for next year? And there will be golden nuggets within this that will help you understand what to do next year. Please listen. Open your hearts. Open your minds. Let the Spirit work within you. If you have not been saved, repent in the, in the baptism of water. Repent for your sins. If you are in Jesus Christ, let the Holy Spirit lead you. And if there is fire in your life, let it purify you and refine you. All because this paragraph is true. Let's listen. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves, no, to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, the law kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry of death, which is the law, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, for what once had glory has come to have no glory at all, Because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end, but their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, 
the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, what a year of confusion. Incompetent leaders, selfish leaders, unsure leaders, immoral leaders, driving homes and families and nations apart. And we've seen this in every era of human history. It is not unique to just this administration. In this time, Lord, when so many of us believe that there are different ways to pave, different messiahs that are necessary, different innovators. Lord, we proclaim that the problem is a moral one that goes through the heart. We stand condemned before a holy God and none of our policies, none of our education systems, none of our products can withstand the baptism of fire because we are imperfect. So Lord, we pray that we would all repent. When the word of God heavily comes upon us, may the first thing that we do is hear the word of the Lord saying, repent for the kingdom of God is coming. And then prepare ourselves for a baptism, not of fire, but of spirit, because Jesus Christ has saved us. And now, our lives are not about the negative. It's not about avoiding things. It's not about not doing this and not going to hell. But Father, may our lives be filled with the Spirit, that everything would be done perfectly from a perfect heart that is in perfect alignment with a perfect relationship with you, Father. Let us not do things without a relationship. And if we have a relationship, let us not neglect the things we are to do, but let us stay in step with the Holy Spirit, being guided by you, nimbly following you every footstep in 2022 that we would be a people living in accordance to your perfect will. Father, we love you. We thank you. We can't wait to read, pray, and obey in 2022. Uh, next year, our churches, you are leading our church into what we are called the phase of spirit-filled worship. And in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we must read your word, pray to you, and in relationship with you, obey what you have to say. May that be a daily tempo and rhythm of all people here who declare that they repent, that they need Jesus, and they need your spirit. And so it is in that name we pray, the name of Jesus, amen.